Well, welcome out, everyone. You doing well? How good. Welcome to church. Man, it's just good to be in God's house. It's nice to laugh. It's good to eat chocolate. God is good. Uh, I got a message that I cannot wait to share with you today. Uh, no bonus points on the creativity of my title, but simply it is titled Welcome Home. And it's titled that because we're simply so glad that you're here. Uh, whether you've been here a long time, whether it's your first time in church, our hope, our prayer is that you would just feel right at home, that you could come as you are. And we're so glad that you've made the effort to join us. And in about an hour's time, we're going to be cranking all those coffees and it's going to be a bunch of fun, less than an hour. But let's take a moment to pray before we jump into the Word this morning. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have such a deep and wide love for every one of us, that you would go to the cross, that we might have freedom, forgiveness, and the fullness of life. And so I pray that as I would share these words, I pray our hearts would be open, we would be receptive, that something in us would shift and we'd be drawn nearer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're so blessed here at Elam Christian Center um, in our Papakura campus. We've got a handful of staff members and interns. And the other day, it was quite hilarious. One of our third year interns, her name is Jadia. She is a legend. She runs the Power Sparks program, which is the Purple House, the three and four-year-olds. She was chilling in the cafe over here doing her work, and an email came through from Haley Barrett, who is the principal of Elam Leadership College, where Jadia is a student. I'm like, oh, email from the principal. And the funny thing about this email is it was requesting that Jadia be part of the worship team for the intern block course at the end of the month. She was freaking out. She's like, this must be a mistake. Jardy will be the first to tell you, I cannot sing. I cannot play an instrument. And she was saying, Jesus, please no. Like I know ELC is meant to stretch me and grow me, but <laughs> this is not what the people want or what the people need. I was cracking up. I wondered if you've ever received a message or an invitation that you just thought that's not, that's not meant for me. That, that invitation or that message is meant to be for someone else more suited. Well, after a little bit of investigation, we discovered that actually Jadia was meant to be in the email. She was on the roster to help with the lyrics of the songs on the computer, right? Something <laughs> she was familiar with. She's like, okay, that's okay, I can do that. It's a message she initially thought was meant to be for someone else, but it turns out she was the exact right person to hear the message. And I remember before I started coming to church as a 20-year-old, that's exactly what I thought of the message of the Bible. I thought the message of the Bible is for church-going people. It's for those good people. The message of the Bible is for those righteous, holy, good-behaving people. But let's take a look at Luke chapter 15 from verse 1. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus preach. That's interesting. It's interesting because there was a way in which Jesus taught and preached that allowed people who didn't know God to come regularly and learn and listen. They didn't just come once, but they regularly came to listen to Jesus teach. It continues on. This made the Pharisees, these are like religious teachers of religious law, complained that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The nerve of Jesus to not only hang out with them, but to also eat with them. And so we can see right from the get-go that sometimes people lose sight of what they're trying to achieve and what they're doing. These religious people, they knew God's Word. They knew the Bible so well. They were well-versed in all the different traditions, ordinances, and structures. And yet somehow they thought that the righteous and the unrighteous shouldn't mix. I have no idea how they came to that conclusion. They have an issue with Jesus keeping company with sinful people. That's interesting because that's not what I read when I come to the Bible. The, the very fact that they have an issue with Jesus hanging out with sinful people suggests, I think, that they held Jesus' teaching to some level of high regard. 
Because if he was just another sinful outcast like the rest of them, they would have been like, I don't care, hang out with whoever you want to hang out. All the other sinful people are hanging out, but they had an issue with Jesus doing it, which suggests that maybe they did rate his teaching. And the issue is that you've got Jesus, who is a rabbi, seemingly prioritizing sinful people over the righteous when it came to who he taught. And not only that, but the nerve of Jesus, he would even sit down and eat with them. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, that was significant, especially at this time, it was considered quite a display of intimacy to eat with people, that you would recline and eat with someone was to suggest that they were your friend. And the Pharisees, they think biblical community and godly teaching is reserved only for those who have somehow already become righteous, assumedly by their own efforts and power to, to follow the law, to cross every T, dot every I, to be in line with what God's Word was asking. But Jesus responds to this attitude in Matthew chapter 9. He says this uh, from verse 12. When Jesus heard this, He said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then He added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who realize they're sinners. I don't know if this is the first time you're hearing this, but Jesus came for those that are willing to go, that's me. I've messed up. I've intentionally or unintentionally turned my back on God. I have sinned. Jesus came for those people, not the ones that thought they had it all together. And in the medical world, it's quite common for obvious reasons that emergency cases would take priority over routine maintenance and annual checkups. We, we saw that with the COVID pandemic, a lot of routine things got pushed aside for emergencies. I remember when Darcy was in labor with Boston uh, back in August, she decided enough was enough, give me the epidural, right? And like we, we were both on board with that, that was awesome. Um, and so they said though, that the anesthetician, that's hard, say anesthetician. See, don't judge me, it's hard. I even practiced like 20 times and I still failed both services. The anesthetician that would administer the epidural could come, but they said, Darcy, he can only come if there's no pressing emergencies. Because if there's other emergencies in the hospital, he has to go to tend to those ones first. And Jesus is saying, it's those that don't yet know God that need Jesus more urgently than those who already know Him. But don't hear me wrong. Jesus is not like the anesthetician who has limited time and resource. He's an unlimited God. But He's helping us to understand where God's focus is and perhaps where our focus should be as well. And so I want us to park up this morning in Luke chapter 15, where he shares three different stories back to back to help unpack this very idea that those that don't yet know God and have a relationship with Him, those that aren't knitted into great biblical community, these are the people that are God's priority. And what I love about Jesus' challenge is that He's trying to help the Pharisees, these religious leaders see, and He's trying to help you and I see as leaders that He is an amazing God and He wants us to have an accurate picture of what God is actually like. Because to some, right, and you know what I mean, I used to think this as well, God was just some distant superpower with no interest in the people of the world. Or He's an angry tyrant with a lightning bolt in His hand ready to strike. Or to others, He's like a selective club chairman, only looking for the best of the best to include in His club. And yet to others, He's just a figment of our imagination. But Jesus is desperate. That's why He's telling these stories. He wants the Pharisees and He wants us to understand that the God of the Bible is much more likened to a father at a carnival who looks around and realizes his child has gone missing. It's like there is nothing more important in this moment than finding my lost child. Everything else can wait. No interruption is worthwhile. And He simply will not stop until He can embrace them again. 
I think it should go without saying that the Christian heart and attitude should be aligned with God's heart and attitude. To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. Perhaps more accurately, to be a Christian is to be someone who is becoming more Christ-like over time. So where did the Pharisees go wrong? How could they possibly come to this conclusion? Because we know that God's heart for Christians, amazing. God's heart for Christians is that He loves them so much. I'll show you, Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And Jeremiah 29.11, kind of like an anchor scripture for us as a church. It's on the wall on your right as you came in. Not sure if you noticed it. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And so there's no doubt that God's heart is that He loves people that have given their life to Him. But what about people who haven't? What about people that have never made that decision? What about people that once made that decision, but if they're to be honest, they feel far from God today? The Pharisees, they seem to be exclusively against sinners, exclusively against those that hadn't chosen to follow Jesus, or in this case, Yahweh the Father, they they weren't Jesus' mates at this point in time those that have maybe drifted from God. It's an interesting take on things because when I read my Bible, I see God's heart is completely opposite. I read Romans 5, 8 and it says, for God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't come looking for perfect people. He came looking for normal people like you and I. And this is where Jesus attempts to show us what God is truly like using three different stories back to back in Luke chapter 15. Three stories about a sheep, a coin, and a son. See, the gospel message is for everyone, but it's especially for those that the Bible refers to as lost. And that's not to say your life is a lost cause or that you're less than, but perhaps it means maybe you're just missing out on the greatest relationship that you were designed to have, a relationship with the God who made you. And so these three different stories show us a little bit of a different angle for each of them on how we or others around us might find themselves lost. So let's jump into it. Luke chapter 15. The first story is about the sheep. So Jesus begins his little uh, chat with the Pharisees. He says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now it sounds at the start like Jesus is asking a question. What will the shepherd do? But he's not asking a question. He's just stating what seems to be mutually obvious and agreed upon. Surely, he implies, that someone would go searching for the ones that are important to them. And when they recover what they lost, surely, he implies, everyone would celebrate. And as I ponder the story of the one lost sheep, and as I reflect on my own observation of sheep, I've come to believe that the sheep didn't want this. The sheep actually loved being part of the group. That's what sheep do. They enjoy the comfort. They enjoy the protection of being together. In fact, when the one sheep was part of the hundred sheep and there were one crew all together, I'm convinced that that sheep believed he was in the right place. And yet it's probably fair to say that over time, after a bit of movement and a few changes, somehow, unintentionally, at some point, one sheep looked up and realized his usual flock wasn't with him. 
that he had somehow drifted away and become isolated and could no longer hear the voice of his shepherd. And Jesus says in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And maybe you're in the room today and at some point in time, you felt like you were connected into that metaphorical 100. And it's not like you made a beeline for an open gate, but simply that life just happened. Life got busy. Maybe there was an offense that took place or a relationship breakdown. Maybe it was just that your shifts at work changed. But at no point did you decide, I'm walking away. And yet at some point, you looked up and realized you had drifted away from your community. And not only that, but you felt you could no longer hear the voice of your shepherd. Started to doubt that God was speaking. Maybe you started to doubt that God cared. But Jesus is telling us the story so that people like you could understand. He would abandon the 99. He would leave everything to come after you and to find you. And we get a glimpse into the heart of God for those who unintentionally drifted. He's noticed that you haven't been in His house. He's noticed that you've been missing. And He's been pursuing you every second since. You know, the story of the lost sheep is amazing because it's a story of recovery and restoration. For all of us, God wants to restore us back to community. He wants to restore us back to intimacy. He wants to restore us out of loneliness and back to belonging. And Jesus says that when the man finds his sheep, he would gather in all his friends and neighbors and everyone would celebrate. I need you to know today that if you relate to the sheep, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but I looked up one day and I realized my community was not around me and I can no longer hear the voice of my shepherd. I need you to know God is preparing a party, not a punishment. God is pumped to have you back in the house. And sometimes we can be nervous, like, oh, God must be so disappointed. Would you be so disappointed if you were the father at a carnival that found their son? You would just be so happy to have them back. Come on, we want to welcome you back to church because home is a place for those who stay and those who stray. Community is a place where we can lose and recover without judgment. And unlike the Pharisees who somehow had their heart and perspective misaligned with God's, here at Elam, we're committed to welcoming you back with open arms and full crunchy boxes because God's heart is just that you would return home. Now the shepherd, when he found the one sheep, naughty sheep, he didn't say to the sheep, you're an idiot and give him a clip around the ears. He didn't say to the one sheep, hey, look how much better behaved the 99 other sheep were. But he simply put him on his shoulders, carried him back home and threw a party. And I think sometimes you and I need to metaphorically carry our friends and family back home, back to community, back to God. That's why your personal invitation is so powerful. You know, the story of the lost sheep says that there is more rejoicing over one person coming back home then there is over 99 that just stuck around. And if you're back for the first time in a long time or the first time at all, we're so pumped that you're here. Actually, we've been praying that you would come and we're so glad that you've arrived and all of heaven rejoices. God is more pumped that you are here than 99 of our regulars for coming back. And it's not like a dig at our 99 regulars because I know, I know and I hope this is, I believe it's true that among the 99 regulars, they are just as pumped and excited to celebrate the fact that you are home too. So Jesus makes this case like the, the sheep that accidentally strayed away is welcomed in and a party is thrown. And then he moves on to the second story. Luke chapter 15 from verse eight, it's all about the coin. He says this, Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, for I have lost, found my lost coin. 
In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. It's interesting that in this story, Jesus uses the example of 10 coins. Now, in the translated text, you won't get this, but if you go back and read the original Greek, the word used to describe those coins gives each of those coins a value of one full day's labor, like one full day's hard work. So it's a significant part of her livelihood. It's a massive chunk of her income and her money. She knows that her household won't be the same if this coin stays lost. The woman's quality of life, her livelihood, her experience of the world depend greatly on ensuring that this coin becomes found. And as I read this text, I felt like God highlighted to me that while there are many different groups of people in our world that don't yet know God, there is extra perseverance and care required for those that are in our household. For some, you feel like your livelihood depends on it. And if you're in the room, for the first time or the first time in a long time because of the invitation of a family member. Could I be so audacious as to speak on their behalf and say that your family member has a full heart right now? And it's not because they're trying to impress their own views upon you. It's just that they love you so much. And this one is really close to home. In fact, for some of you, it's literally from the same home. And Jesus is telling the story to say, sometimes it requires hard work and it requires perseverance, but we should never give up on those that we care about most. You know, to share the gospel is to share love. It's to invite someone into the fullness of life. Jesus said, look, it's the devil. He comes to rob, kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life in all its fullness. And when Jesus went to the cross to take upon the punishment that our individual sin deserved, he wasn't just doing it for your spouse or for your parent or for your child, but he was specifically doing it for you as well. You know, the reason that you being here means so much to your family member is because they've had a glimpse of how transformative the love of God is. It's not a vibe or a good feeling. It's not an internal security or a crutch in a hard time. It's not a self-serving moral boost or a way to make sense of the world. But the God of the Bible is literally like a father that wants to have relationship with you. He is powerful and yet he's personal. He is majestic and yet he's merciful. He is both sovereign over the earth and he's the savior of our souls. There's a recent story, an amazing story, just came out of our our Botany campus. There's a lady there, her name is Christine, and she's been part of the church there basically as long as they've existed, about 35 years. And Christine, this entire time, has been praying that her husband, Alan, would have an encounter with God, but Alan doesn't want a bar of it. Alan wasn't interested. In fact, he was very against the things of God. They've been in that church a long time. They've obviously aged, and as they've aged, they decided to get involved in serving in the seniors' ministry, more so Christine did. And she was there helping out every week, and eventually Ellen decided, fine, I'll, I'll do something with my time. I'll come and help out. I'll set up some things, but I'm not going inside for the teaching, and I'm not going inside for the community. That's fine. See, Christine, keep coming along, and she continued to pray. Well, after 35 years of praying, faith in God and patience with her husband, Just a few months ago, Alan became very sick. He asked one of our botany staff members to lead him in a prayer and he gave his life to Jesus. That's amazing because the Bible says that when we do that, the old is gone and the new has come. We get forgiveness right now and the promise of an eternity in heaven with him. A few days after that, they baptized him. And a few days after that, while in his mid-70s, he passed away. 
that's sad, but also what an amazing celebration that he gets into this glorious eternity with God. And I'm not saying your journey is gonna take 35 years. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But what I am saying is do not give up on those that you care about the most. Alan's story is moving because it didn't just transform his life. It transformed his eternity as well. God found him and all of heaven rejoices. Look, church is a place for everyone. Church should always be a home for all people. When you and I should be inviting those we bump into throughout our everyday life. But I'm also believing for you, with you, for the ones that are close to you, that they would come to know the love of God as well. Don't give up on them. Our God, He's like the woman searching for the lost coin. He's a light in a dark place. He never stops searching. He's meticulous. He never gives up. And when He finds it, again, it's a party that He throws. Story of the sheep, story of the coin. And Jesus finishes in with a nice solid story about a son. Again, Luke 15 from verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. I'll read some of the story. I'll paraphrase because this is a bit of a longer one. You can go read that in Luke 15 if you want. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want to share, sorry, he said, I want my share of your estate now before I die. He wants his inheritance early. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. So the son goes off living with his inheritance, but he misuses it. He spends it on wild living and hits rock bottom. And eventually he's trying to eat from like pig troughs. He realizes that while he has the inheritance, he was better off in his father's house than he was outside of it. He realizes that even a slave in his father's house is in a better position than him. And I think far too often for those that have decided to go and spend a period of time outside their father's house, living life on their terms, we can disqualify ourselves and think our future holds only that of a slave. But as we're about to find out in the story, because of who you are, not because of what you've done, God will always welcome you back as a son or a daughter. Story continues. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion like Darcy shared earlier. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. See? But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest Gucci robe. Get the finest thing we have in the house and put it on him. Adorn him with the nicest things that we have. Put a blingy ring on his finger and get some Yeezys for his feet. Get this guy decked out in the flashiest stuff that we have and kill the fattened calf that we've been preparing. He says, we must celebrate with a feast. I love this. For the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. My favorite part, so the party began. That's in the scripture. That's what I want to say, but that's what God said. He was lost, but now he's found. He finally comes back. They welcome him in, and so the party began. And the brother who stayed gets all upset that all the attention is on the one who returned home. Sounds like a bit of an unhealthy attitude that can sometimes crop up in church life. Oh, all the attention's on the visitors. All the attention's on the new people. It's all on the unbelievers. Yeah. Because certain people, while we all need Jesus, certain people need it more urgently than others. Story continues. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. 
we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Look, for those that have been in this room, in this church, in this community for quite some time, I need to assure you that you will never lose out when we focus in on welcoming people back home. Everything he has is yours. Your calling still stands. Your inheritance still stands. You're just as much as a valuable member of the family. But your brother was lost and now he's found. In the final moments we've got left, I just want to touch base really quickly on two things that come out of this final story of the son. The first one's the really obvious one. At first reading, it's what most of us see, that those who decide for whatever reason to say, look, I'm out of here. I want to take it. I want to leave and go live a period outside my father's house and live life on my terms. The Bible's clear. These people should be, off, should be welcomed in with open arms and a celebration should be had, welcomed in as a son or a daughter. But there's another group of people that are lost and, and it rears its head just briefly in a statement that the son said, said right at the beginning. He said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. He wanted the inheritance, but not the relationship. He wanted to live with the promises but not under his principles. The son who insists on getting his inheritance early is lost before he even leaves home. We don't have to stray physically from church. We don't have to leave church, community, home, God in order for us to feel lost. And the reason for that is being found is not about what you're part of. It's about who you know and who knows you. Being found is a state of relationship, not a state of membership. And so maybe you're in the room today and you're like, man, I'm a church person, all right? The four songs, clap, 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 quiet, quiet, crunchies. Like you could probably get up here and do that. You've, you've been here enough times. That's awesome. And as awesome as that stuff is, that's not the point. The point is that you would know God. And there's a bunch of different things that we do. And if you're here today and you're like, I know church, but I don't know God, then perhaps you're part of this group too that are perhaps lost. And his invitation to come back to him is for you as well. Keys, you can join me. See, if you decided to head for the door one, two, 10, 20, 30 years ago, and you felt like the son who didn't want to come groveling back I, I know this, and I believe Jesus wants you to know that that's not how He approaches you. He's like the Father that sees you from a long way off, and He just starts running towards you. He's never taken His eyes off of you. He's never stopped thinking about you. He's just so excited that you're back, He's ready to party. He's got the little party popper poison ready to go. The cocktail sausages are hot. The wadi sauce is out. The fairy bread is cut up in triangles. The only way it's on the plate. And he's really just to celebrate the fact that you're home. But if you've been sitting here for a while and you find yourself thinking, what do I get out of church? Hope oh, the message feeds me today. I wonder what I'm going to get out of it. I need you to know that the whole point of all of this is that you would truly know God. As the father in the story said to the son who stayed, all I have is yours. Church isn't about what we get out of it. It's about how we can come and offer all we have in response to a God who already gave it all. A God who is a friend of sinners. 
Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3. The Bible's got 66 little books in it. It's the very last one. Right at the end, book of Revelation, Jesus says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. It's that same intimacy that comes with sharing a meal. That Jesus would eat with them. He says, yeah, let me eat with you. I want that intimacy. I want that closeness. I'm not sure if you've seen in the lead up to Sunday, to today, if you've seen any advertising, if you're connected into our social media things, I'm not sure. Or if someone who invited you along mentioned it. But we specifically entitled today, Back to Church Sunday. And it's not because we want to fill a building. It's because we believe in a God that wants to fill your life. We've called it Back to Church Sunday, but if I'm to be honest, it's a little misleading. Church is one of my favourite places to be on the entire planet. There is nothing like it. And as amazing as it is, it's a part of God's plan for the earth. Church won't actually change your life. It will enhance it. It will improve it. It will give you strength. It will give you all that great stuff. But it's only your relationship with God that truly transforms you from the inside out. And so it's not Back to Church Sunday. Today is back to God Sunday. You know, every, every Sunday, every service here at Eden, we have people joining us brand new. Some coming for the very first time, amazing, praise God. Others coming back after a while. For some, it's been six months. For some, 10 years. For some, it's been 40 years since they've been in church and they find themselves back in this environment. They're people like the sheep who just unintentionally wandered away had no intention, they didn't want it, but just one day life got busy, things were hectic, they looked up and realized their community was gone and they could no longer hear the voice of their shepherd. The people like the coin, whose family members have been mindful of them this whole time. And they're people like the son who were once connected, but after a season of trying to live their life on their terms without God, they've realized that life is not all it's cracked up to be. And so to every single person in the room today, welcome home. But being found is not a state of membership. You know as well as I do, you could come here for years, come sit in a seat, be part of it, go home and still feel disconnected. Belonging, being found is a state of relationship. And when you have it, you know it. And there are so many people in this room today and in our 9am service that have made a decision. They said, I don't know all the answers. I don't know how it all fits together but I'm gonna commit my life to living for Jesus. And that doesn't mean life has been easy, but it means they've been in step with the God who made them. They've been in relationship with the Creator and they have the promise of eternity in heaven. And in just a moment, I would love to lead us in that prayer. We do this every Sunday because it would be absolutely crazy of us to have the honour to host you in our building today, to tell you about a God who loves you so much you would go to a cross, who would give it all so that you could have freedom, forgiveness in heaven and then not give you a chance to respond to that. This is the most important decision you could make in your whole life. I don't know if you're thinking about what you should have for lunch afterwards, but this is the decision to think about now. And in a crowded room, it's a personal decision. Will I give my life to Jesus? Will I ask for forgiveness? Will I be made brand new? It's not just the inheritance you want, but it's relationship that you need as well. And so I'm gonna invite everyone in this room to close their eyes.